We're uh, continuing on in our doctrinal study of uh, biblical uh, separation. And uh, as we uh, looked at last week, we looked at the uh, Old Testament mandate that we actually have to think in terms of biblical separation because it is clearly a doctrine that is taught in the Old Testament scriptures. But uh, tonight we want to look at uh, biblical separation in the New Testament. Uh, and we're going to look at some concepts that pertain to that because there's a difference. And uh, before we uh, actually begin to look at it, let's uh, bow in prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege we have of gathering here tonight in the middle of the week. And I pray that you would just uh, enable us to grow into becoming, uh, as we see this church age nearing its conclusion, uh, believers who reflect the glory of God more and more in this grace age. And we pray that you use studies like this to help accomplish that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, the principle of separation, as we said, is clearly established in the Old Testament. Um, but our doctrine, uh, whatever it may be, must always be based on filtering it through the New Testament because uh, we're not under the law, we're under the grace system, and there are some major differences. Uh, when the program of God is national, that's one thing. Things are different than when the program of God is individual. And uh, in the Old Testament uh, economy, the program of God primarily is with the nation Israel. But in the New Testament economy, in the grace age, it's with various individuals. For example, in the Old Testament, uh, it was perfectly legitimate for Israel to separate itself from lost heathen Gentiles. In fact, when Jesus came to Israel, he said, don't even go in the way of the Samaritans or in the way of the Gentiles. You don't even go there. Uh, he was telling his own disciples that very thing. And yet, in the New Testament economy, it's perfectly legitimate for us as believers to reach out to lost heathen Gentiles. So you see a difference there when it comes to a mindset of the Old Testament versus the, versus the New Testament. Obviously, there have been some change in the outward uh, program uh, of God. Now, when we carefully uh, examine passages in the course of the New Testament economy, there are six basic grace age expectations that uh, do show up. First of all, it is an expectation that a grace age believer will separate himself from personal sin. That's an expectation for every single one of us who knows the Lord Jesus Christ. I would like you to go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verses 8 and 9. We read these words. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. It becomes the responsibility of the individual believer to deal with things in his or her own life. I can't deal with things for you, and you can't deal with things for me. I have to deal with me, you have to deal with you. It's our responsibility as a believer to do that. Go over to 1 Timothy, if you would, please. And chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5. We read in verse 22, Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily, and thus share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. I just want to focus on that latter clause there. It's talking about you do not put someone in any position of responsibility in a hasty way. You watch them over time because otherwise if you put them in there, they can drift out into things that aren't even biblical and you need to prevent that from happening. But then the close of the verse says, keep yourself free from sin. 
So it becomes our responsibility to deal with sinful things in our own lives. If you flip over to chapter 6 and verse 11, the text says, Flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Flee from things that would ultimately be harmful things. So the first expectation we have when it comes to separation in the grace age is it is an expectation that every one of us is working in our own lives in harmony with the Spirit of God and the Word of God in moving away from sinful things. Now, the second expectation is an individual in the grace age is expected by God to separate himself from worldliness. Worldliness. Now, let's go to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. We read in 1 John 2, 15, uh, these very famous words, do not love the world nor the things that are in the world. Now, what does that mean? We're talking about world. Are we talking about good things in life that God has given us to enjoy? No. Are we talking about we shouldn't love to see the beautiful creation of God or we shouldn't love to get outdoors and, and uh, just uh, watch nature? No, it's not talking about not loving that. We, we should love good things in life. That's good. Love good things. That's a biblical principle. This is talking about that whole satanic world that is in opposition to God. That whole satanic world, including its education, its goals, its philosophies, its ambitions, where God is nowhere in the picture. There is a world system that features all of that stuff apart from God, and that's what we're not to love. We're not to love. And I think it was interesting that... Uh, one of the first students of Dr. Chafer was a man by the name of John Mitchell, and he said that one letter of the alphabet makes all the difference in the world when it comes to this. Love not the world, take the L out, love the word. Love the word. And he said, don't love the world, but love the word. And he said, if you do that, then you'll discover that things are falling into place, you're loving the right things, and you're not... Uh, loving the wrong things. So this is a great principle of separation. We have the responsibility to uh, do this in our own individual lives. Now the third expectation for the grace age believer is that he's expected by God to separate himself from sinning believers. Sinning believers. If there's a believer persistently in sin, it becomes our responsibility to separate ourselves from him. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector Truly I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so here is the principle of separation. If a brother sins, and you become aware of the sin, the responsibility, depending on the sin, this gets complicated, because this actually is in a context of having to take corporate church type of action. So obviously at some point you have some leadership that has to be involved in this process. But let's say that you are involved in God's surfaces to your knowledge, the fact that a brother or sister is in sin. Generally speaking, you would have the responsibility to go to that brother or sister and say, hey, you're way out of line here. You are way out of line in what you're doing, and uh, you need to get back in line with the Word of God and with the things of God so we can enjoy the sweet fellowship that we've enjoyed in times past. That becomes the responsibility of every one of us. Now let me show you another text. It's in 2 Thessalonians 3. 
This is a church passage to the church of Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 14, If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man and do not associate with him, so that he may be put to shame. And yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now this becomes the responsibility of every individual the believer if, if you notice that somebody is persistently pursuing sinful things, we have no business persistently fellowshipping with that person and slapping him on the back as if life is good. We have the responsibility to say, hey, uh, we, 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 we care about you enough to say you're wrong and we're going to stand against you on this point. Now, um, I have a remarkable illustration that I was aware of uh, back in the uh, late 90s of Prairie Bible Institute in Alberta, Canada. There was a uh, person who was on staff who uh, got involved with a, a supervisor. And so then, when it came out, of course, Prairie Bible Institute took the right stand and said, well, we, you can't work here, and uh, you're not going to fellowship here because you've been pursuing this terrible, evil sin. So uh, ultimately, what happened is the, the woman who, who had the relationship with the supervisor filed a suit against uh, the supervisor who had the relationship with her and then also the institution that let them both go. So they all wind up in court. And uh, Prairie Bible Institute said, we didn't want to go to court. In fact, we would just prefer to not be there at all, but they were thrust in the middle of this thing. Well, fortunately, when they got into the court, the court had some uh, wits about them, and, uh, and ultimately uh, they didn't award uh, anything that they were asking for in that, in that regard. But here's the thing. They shine bright in the sight of God because they took the right position. They took the right stand. And sometimes that's not easy to do, especially in this day and age. But God still expects it to be done. If certain lines are crossed, there must be separations that are made. There must be decisions to separate that at times become very right and very biblical. And it's an expectation of the church of God. Now, the fourth expectation is an individual grace age believer is expected by God to separate himself from false teaching and false teachers. Now, over and over and over again, this thing is, is stated. Let's go to uh, Romans 16. Romans 16, 17. Now, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned and turn away from them, for such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. There is, a, in this world of religion, uh, all kinds of people saying they're teachers, and they're not accurately handling the Word of God. There's a, on the religious network, there's a program that's called, and I'm not promoting the program, in fact, I would not promote the program, but I'm going to tell you what it is. I'd say don't even watch it. It's a waste of your time. It's called Ask the Pastor. And, uh, and what they do is they put uh, three pastors uh, at a table, and then people can call in their questions. So I decided um, not long ago, I'd like to watch that and see just exactly uh, how they're going to handle these things. So people were calling in questions. Uh, for example, one of them came out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, and what exactly does that mean? That was one of the questions. You should have heard the nonsense coming out of these pastors. And I was just getting mad. I had to turn the thing off, go back to the game that I enjoy. 
Because I just get so irritated with this. They're not handling the Word of God in a right way. They're not handling the context of it. They're just saying things. And they go from mic person to person to person. And it's, in my opinion, nothing more than pooled ignorance. Now, we have a responsibility to accurately understand the Scriptures. And you need to understand this. There's a right way to handle the Bible. There's a proper interpretation to a text of the Bible. And it becomes our responsibility to go after that proper interpretation. And when you have people that are just taking Bible verses and flopping all over the place, that is not right. And you shouldn't sit under that kind of thing ever in your life. No matter what would happen to me, you never sit under that kind of thing. That will never lead you anywhere into a context of understanding the Word of God. It becomes the responsibility of the believer to make decisions about the truth of God and the Word of God. And if the Word of God is not being accurately taught, they need to move out, move away. Now, let me show you another text of Scripture. Let's go to Titus 3. Titus 3, verse 9. But shun foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law for which for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject the factious man after a first and second warning. There are uh, some of these people who, they just want to talk religion. And, uh, and, and, and they just want to, I'll tell you, I, I, it, it's the most bizarre thing. But some people, especially when it comes, it seems to me, to religion or the Bible, they want to try and, and impress others with how much they think they know, I guess. I don't know. But it's just mind-boggling to me because if you just quietly listen to some of the things being postulated, you're going, I, I, I can't connect here. I mean, it's just not, it's just right. And, and when it comes to religion, people are going to try to lead you astray from truth. Um, that's the real um, core of biblical study, to understand truth. And, and these churches that are not after that, they're not just nice little religious places. They're keeping people from understanding the truth in a religious sense, in a nice little emotional sense, but they're not after the truth of God. So it becomes the responsibility, and I'm going to tell you this, individual believers one day are going to be held accountable by the Lord for not seeking out a place where they could be accurately taught the truth of God because that is what they should be after and not somebody that's bending and twisting and just presenting things that aren't even, in some, of the, uh, some context, aren't even sane. Now, the fifth uh, expectation is every individual believer is expected to separate himself from fleshly lust. From fleshly lust. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. We read, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. That's our assignment. It's given to every single believer. We need to take necessary measures to keep ourselves from things that can promote lust. Get a good, healthy outlet. Get a good, healthy activity that you enjoy. Put blocks on your TV. Put blocks on your computer. Do whatever it takes to keep yourself from that arena of flesh, fleshly lust. That becomes the responsibility for every single one of us uh, in our walk with God. And um, all evil sin in the world cannot sink a believer unless the sin gets inside. It's just like water in a boat. All the water in the world can't sink a boat unless the water gets inside the boat. And the same is true for the believer. All the sin in the world can't sink a believer unless it gets inside. You know how it gets inside? It starts with lust. 
And that's how it begins to creep in. So don't let it, don't let it happen. Just cut that off. Make right choices uh, concerning your life and concerning what you're doing and what you're reading and, and, uh, and, and then pursue the ways of God. The sixth uh, expectation for the believer is that an individual grace age believer is expected by God to separate himself from his old self. God wants us getting farther and farther away from that old way that we used to be. And it's such a wonderful thing when people say, boy, they're just not the same anymore. And that's exactly what should be said. They're not the same anymore. They aren't. That was what was said of Augustine. Augustine was walking down the street one time after he had uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ, and he used to be one rowdy type of guy who lived a pretty worldly, uh, hedonistic life. And somebody said, Augustine, Augustine, it's, it's I. And Augustine said, but it is not I anymore. I'm a new creation in Christ, and I'm not the same anymore. And so we all have the responsibility to move away from dead things that were going nowhere in a relationship with the Lord and moving on to things that are pursuing life things in our walk with God. Now that brings us to the next question. What are the extremes we want to avoid when it comes to biblical separation? I'm laying groundwork here, but there are some extremes that we want to avoid when it comes to biblical separation. Separation can be biblical, but it also can become fanatical. And we don't want it to become that. It can be biblical, but it also can become fanatical. When it comes to separation, caution is demanded, and it needs to be entered into very carefully. There are four extremes that we want to avoid when it comes to separation. First of all, we want to avoid the extreme of asceticism. Asceticism. Now, there have been those in the church age who have believed that biblical separation means they should withdraw themselves completely from anything and anyone in the entire world. As Mr. Miles said in his book, Tightrope of Separation, uh, there are those who became hermits, went to monasteries, caves, deserts, and the wilderness. They said we must get away from man and pleasures. We must give up all comforts. Then we'll be separate to God. Well, we're not called to live our lives that way. And even though there's a, a group south of us here that tends to think on these terms, the fact is we're not called to live an ascetic life. We're called to live in this world. We're not called to isolate ourselves from the world. We are in different schools and jobs and families by sovereign appointment of God. It's our job, wherever we're at in the world, to try and reach it, not hide out from it. Asceticism is basically the view that says let's hide out from any type of uh, uh, connection to anyone or anything in the world. That's dangerous. Uh, when we start thinking that way, we're, we're thinking in a very unbiblical way. God wants us reaching out to people, not hiding out from people. All right, the second danger that's extreme is the danger of legalism. Now, legalism is, as we've gone through that, it's a man-made system of rules and regulations which promotes or prohibits certain things that are not found in the Word of God. And there are people who separate themselves from other people not based on anything biblical. They just do it because they've developed these, their own legalistic uh, viewpoints on certain things so they won't function with this person because they don't meet their own legalistic viewpoint standard. Again, uh, Mr. Miles uh, made an interesting observation when he said, legalism will never answer anything. Getting rid of things may make an outward show, but it will leave the life empty, void, disillusion, and it will encourage pride. 
people that are legalistic tend to become proud people. They're proud of their legalism. And they're proud of their man-made traditions and rules. And so when they see someone else that doesn't fit in with their little scheme of thinking, they're proud of themselves and they look down on other people and then you have a real serious sin issue. So legalism is another extreme that we want to avoid in any type of separation. The third extreme we want to avoid is the extreme of compromise. Now, we have to be careful here because we don't want to compromise and get into an area that is wrong simply because we're saying that we must befriend the world. Again, Mr. Miles, compromise says that we must not only befriend the world and reach people, but we must unite with it, fraternize with the enemies of God, be a great deal like the world. Someone has called this infiltration. God never told the believer to infiltrate. He must be distinct from the world. But this attitude says we must try to make ourselves and Christianity attractive to the world by playing down differences and ignoring biblical principles and methods. The result is that the world is not changed, but the believer is. This is capitulation to the world and conformance. Now, I think one of the most powerful examples of, of compromise today is in churches. And, uh, and this whole idea that we gotta, we've got to lower standards to reach the world is nuts. It isn't found in the Word of God. Uh, God's worship is to be high and holy. God's worship is to be reverent. Everything that takes place in worship is to be decent and orderly. But yet, we are in a day and age in which many churches are basically saying we can compromise even the pulpit ministry if we think we can reach the world. So we'll take the pulpit out, we'll take any form of decency and orderliness out, we'll pull the ties off, we'll wear jeans, we'll wear a t-shirt, and we'll walk around with a mic, and we'll all have a good little group discussion because we think this is going to reach the world. So what they do is they actually compromise what the scriptures say is supposed to be done, preach the word. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Give attention to reading. Give attention to sound doctrine. Study to rightly divide the scripture. That's what's supposed to go down in the church. But now churches are compromising this because they're taking this perspective. We've got to do anything at all cost to try and reach the world. That's crazy. It isn't even a biblical uh, mandate at all. And that's an extreme we certainly want to avoid when it comes to worshiping God. The fourth extreme we must avoid and this one gets really close to me as a pastor, and that is the extreme of endorsement. There are some people who will endorse anything and anyone if they use the name Christian. They have, they have no scruples, uh, no discerning wits about them. And when you endorse others, and you don't even know what their doctrinal perspective is, or you don't even know what their approach to the Word of God is, then you're getting in some dangerous, dangerous territory. And when you're a pastor or you're on a board, you have to be careful what you're endorsing because you have a flock that you're accountable to God for. So if you stand up here in the pulpit and you start endorsing, oh, I'm endorsing this, I, I'm endor endorsing this seminar, this program, I'm endorsing this, you're actually saying to your flock, I'm opening the door for you to just uh, go out there and be part of that. And if I don't know, or the leadership doesn't know what it even stands for, what it even believes, if it doesn't know what it even uh, doctrinally supports, then we're culpable for that. I'm culpable for that. This idea of endorsement is becoming an ecumenical nightmare. 
because everybody is basically joining together and saying, well, let's just endorse anybody who uh, says they're Christian. There's a Christian missionary. There's a Christian uh, band. There's a Christian uh, concert. There's a, a Christian youth outing. And, and you're thinking, all right, uh, they may say that, but what do we know about it? Is it something that we could really trust our sheep to? Uh, this becomes a real weighty issue when you sit uh, where I sit. Churches have to be very, very careful to endorse things because your sheep can be affected. And it is even true when it comes to theological institutions. You have to be careful what you're endorsing because your sheep can be affected. And I think, ladies and gentlemen, prayerful consideration has to be given prior to any endorsement. So you must avoid the extreme of just endorsing anything that happens to say uh, it's Christian. Now these are four biblical uh, or four extremes that we certainly want to avoid when it comes to forming our doctrine of um, separation. Now, I think I'm going to stop here tonight uh, because uh, I want to pick up where uh, the next time. Any questions or comments about this matter tonight?